This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On and Happy New Year. It's a blessing, right? It's a blessing that we get to hit reset and begin again. And I start with a little bit of embarrassment because I remember all of the great intentions that I brought into 2023. It got a little fuzzy there in the middle, but we reset and begin again, looking at healthy habits always. If you overindulge in any area... Here's the advice from today's guest, Annie Grace. Ask why with compassion. Why do you overeat or overdrink or hang out with people who aren't of your vibration? Why do you put up with bad behavior or abuse? Why do you not go for the things you really want to go for? Ask why over and over again with the utmost compassion for yourself. Annie Grace, her book is called This Naked Mind. Annie, when you were on the show a few years back, I heard from people who told me the interview and your book changed their lives. You've heard this before? Uh, Thousands of times, which gives me chills. It's just incredible. Do you feel like this is what you're here to do? Is this your life's work to get people to see what sobriety is? I think it's a nuance of that. My name is Annie Grace. Annie also means grace. So I feel my work for myself is learning self-compassion. And I think that that's also my work in the world is helping us all to treat ourselves with compassion, because I do feel like that is the path toward ending, you know, behaviors, habits that where we're self-medicating. What is it you want to share about your story now? It's been evolving. I think that it's amazing how, you know, for me, when I was drinking so heavily back for more than a decade, up to two bottles of wine a night, and it was my only escape. And I felt so stuck. And then I did the thought work to really rewire my brain to see myself in a different way, to realize that I was doing the best I could with the tools I had. I just, alcohol was the wrong tool. And it's been this tool that we've been given collectively as a society for everything from being stressed out to having fun, to networking better, to loosening up in the bedroom. It's alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. And so sort of when that epiphany happened for me and and I changed my relationship with alcohol, one of the coolest things about how my journey has evolved is that that's kind of been the starting place to really build a life that I don't want to escape from and everything that entails because it's it's never good enough to put down the crutches that we use to escape our lives without kind of doing the inner work to actually you know have a life that we're really excited about and we feel peace in to some listening that just doesn't seem possible absolutely and it didn't seem possible to me i i really I really didn't believe that I was going to be happy without alcohol, that I would be able to have any sort of peace or relaxation without alcohol, that I would be able to have fun without alcohol. I I believe these things, like I believe the sky was blue. They were so deeply rooted into my mind and they're really rooted in our subconscious and our subconscious is where all our desires come from. And so one of the things that's paramount in my work is this phrase that without desire, there is no temptation. And so if we can change your desire for a drink, then we can change your craving, your temptation, all of these sorts of things. But changing the desire isn't 
necessarily easy, but it's much more gentle than you would think. It isn't about it isn't about shame. It isn't about willpower. It isn't about more fear. It isn't about taking yourself to task and blaming yourself and feeling all the guilt. It's really a road of self-compassion and even curiosity about why am I doing what I'm doing? Why do I feel this need to escape my life? Tell me again that phrase. Without desire, there is no temptation. All right. That's sort of sort of short circuits my brain. Annie Grace, I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? So if you imagine like what's something you don't like? I don't. You mean something I don't like? I don't like mud. I don't know. Okay, so you don't have a huge desire to go play in the mud. No, no. Right. But there are lots of kids and people and animals that have huge desire to go play in the mud. And so if if you uh, were to like really educate somebody about like a child about how mud might be bad for you or how mud might actually be such a pain in the neck to play in because then you have to wash it all off, you would be able to change how they felt about mud and they might not want to do it anymore. And that's that's what I mean about the process for alcohol is that if if we can really get the reasons why somebody is drinking to begin with. Like if you're drinking to relax and you understand the basic scientific premise that alcohol, when you have a drink of it, it releases a stress hormone in your body called cortisol. So it does the opposite of relaxing you. It actually makes you more stressed. Or if you're drinking because you want to feel better and be happier in your life, and then you understand the science behind the fact that alcohol, because of its dopamine response in the brain, actually numbs your brain's ability to feel joy. And so eventually you actually need alcohol to feel joy with things you used to feel joy for all the time. Sporting events used to be fun when you were a kid. You didn't need, you know, to have a bunch of beers while you're watching the game. But now you feel like something's missing if you're watching the game without a bunch of beers. And so if you can understand those things and then experiment in your own life and say, okay, I'm not going to say this is going to be terrible, but how might it be to go to a game knowing this information without drinking? Over and over, people surprise themselves because they just stop wanting it when they really, our brains are so magnificent. We can get and understand information and we can really shift how we feel about something. Annie Grace, tell me about your epiphany. So my epiphany was I had been trying for six, seven years to drink less because I'd reached a point where I was drinking two bottles of wine a night and I felt so just hungover, miserable. I would wake up at three in the morning thinking, what's wrong with you? How can you even say you love your family when you're drinking this much? Surely this is going to kill you. I was so seeped in blame and shame. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to drink less. And every time I would start, Casey, I would make myself promises and then I would break those promises. So I'm not going to drink anything till Thursday, but then I would, Wednesday would be really hard. So I drink on Wednesday. And so it was just this over and over cycle of, Yes, I could keep my promises for a short period of time, but I always felt like I was deprived, like I was missing out. I was radically uncomfortable. And I kept asking myself these questions. What's wrong with you? Are you an alcoholic? What's your problem? And one day I was flying back from London and I was in the airport and I was so sad because I had been drinking all night the night before. I had more drinks at the airport bar that morning. I was drunk and hungover both at the same time and feeling completely miserable, hopeless, in despair, asking myself those same questions. What's wrong with me? Do I have a problem? Am I an alcoholic? And all of a sudden, a different question came into my mind. Why did things change? Why did I used 
to be able to take it or leave it. And now alcohol seems like the most important thing in my life. Why am I smart and in control in all these other areas of my life? But alcohol is this terrible exception. Why do I want it when it doesn't even make me happy anymore? Why do I feel like I need it to show up for my, for my job, for my family? And I just started asking why, why, why? And it was in that questioning, I actually stopped trying to stop drinking. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to promise myself to answer this question, why? And through that question, uh, all sorts of compassion for myself was awakened. I understood that the human brain, not the alcoholic brain, but the human brain has certain chemical reactions to alcohol that makes it hard to turn down that second and third drink. I understand that our entire society is, you know, really giving us this tool that isn't, isn't necessarily working for a lot of us, but we just believe that we're the broken part of the equation if alcohol doesn't work for us. And over this year, I just really changed how I thought and felt about alcohol. And the end of the year, I didn't even want it anymore. And I don't even call myself sober. I just simply say, I haven't, you know, I drink whenever I want to drink. And I have not wanted a drink in nine years now. It was nine years, three days ago. Wow. Congratulations. I want to ask you where that why came from. Where did the why come from that day in the airport? Like what was behind that? Why? Who sent you that? Why? Was that like your great grandma's prayers for your future? I don't know. Where do you think that why came from? It felt very divinely, spiritually, universally inspired to me. I mean, it definitely was like a little whisper. And I I kind of feel like the whisper that been there a long time. I just hadn't been open enough to even take a moment to to really ask, you know, in the way, because those questions, the, am I an alcoholic? What's wrong with me? You shut those down so quickly because they're so painful to consider the implications. You know, maybe I'm going to have to stop drinking, which is one of the most painful things to imagine when you believe alcohol is your best friend. And so I'd shut them down. And, and this morning I was really wanting to know the truth. I was wanting to know, are these things true? And interestingly, the the answer wasn't that those things are true. The answer was that there's actually a better question. So here we are in January and a lot of people try sobriety for January. What can we say to those people? Well, the first thing that I would say is that, you know, whatever your reasons are for drinking, I'd like to just take a moment to reframe them because usually we, we punish ourselves so badly for over drinking and we think we're so wrong and there must be something morally wrong with us or, you know, mentally wrong with us, or we're just weak or we just don't have enough willpower. And I think that we are really drinking uh, as an act of self-preservation. You know, we're, we're trying to escape some of the stresses in our lives and we're, and we're trying to escape some of the pain. And so when we can look at our drinking without so much judgment and just look at it as, you know, you're doing the best you can with the tools you have, I, I truly believe that that is true. Then that allows a little more space for us to get curious about, well, well why am I dealing with that much stress or, or what is it that is, you know, making my life painful or is alcohol really helping with that stress? Because those are the types of questions with that area of compassion and curiosity that are gonna make something like dry January worth its weight in gold. Usually we go into something like dry January, white knuckling it, can't wait 
All I'm trying to do, and I remember doing this myself, is prove to myself that I don't have a problem so that February 1st, I can get back to drinking. And it isn't a time of reflection, but you're going to have extra time. You're going to have extra mind space. Your brain's going to be working a bit quicker. So approaching it with those questions, um, just about a, a point of reflection. But the problem is that we can't have that reflection or curiosity when we're judging ourselves because judgment just obliterates the ability to ask questions. We we just already think we know. Mm, say that one more time. The curiosity and judgment, like they can't coexist because when we're judging, we've told our brains, we already know the truth of this. I already know that I just overdrink. I'm weak. I don't have enough willpower. That's why I'm doing this. And if we've already judged ourselves for it and found ourselves guilty, we have no ability to experience the curiosity that really is the way to understanding more in depth without shame, without blaming ourselves, but why we're drinking in the first place. So a good question for dry January may be, I I drink because my job is so stressful. Is the drinking helping? Is my job still stressful? Is drinking making my job any less stressful? Right? Am I on the right path here? Exactly. Do I feel more or less stressed the morning after drinking? Am I cumulatively more or less stressed the more I drink? Are there other things that I could be doing to relieve this stress? You know, if we think of stress specifically, the only real relief to stress is to solve the problem. And whether that's solving the problem internally by changing your perspective about our job or whether that's solving the problem externally by switching jobs, that's how we're going to relieve it. You know, alcohol, although it can numb the brain for a short period of time, it's a band-aid. And so it's never going to be a cure. And so maybe even say, okay, my job's stressful. If there was a cure, what would that cure be? Can people drink a little and it be okay? I think it really depends on what's going on for the person internally. There's a lot of brain science to show that when we start to drink for periods of stress, whether it's just a stressful job or a stressful day or we're exhausted, our brains actually react a little bit differently to the alcohol. And so we get a different response and the brain says, oh, yes, that was relieving. Do that thing again with more ferocity and intensity. Now, alcohol does that no matter what, because it releases dopamine in the brain and dopamine's the molecule that says that thing you just did, do that thing again. Again, it's the learning survival molecule in a lot of ways. But the reality is that if you're purely drinking socially, then that isn't going to happen as quickly. I wouldn't say it's not a slippery slope for anybody who drinks, but if you're just drinking completely socially and you don't have moments where you feel like you're overdoing it and your tolerance isn't building, meaning you don't need more alcohol to get the same effect now than you used to drink less of, the slide can happen much, much more gently. Yeah. Tell me what it was like when when Annie Grace found out she wasn't broken. Oh, it was it was amazing. And it's it's one of the messages that I just want to shout from the rooftops is that we're really not broken. And for me, it was such a moment of recognizing that I I was just responding. My body was just responding to a substance how it was created to respond. In fact, like the brain, when it gets addicted to an addictive substance is doing exactly what the brain is supposed to do. It's just kind of been hoodwinked by these chemicals that overstimulate certain parts of our brains. And one of the one of the things that was really amazing to me was when I started to dig into kind of the term alcoholic, is that even a 
a term that's used, and it's not a term that's used in the scientific or medical communities. They actually use alcohol use disorder. And that's that's a series of questions. And two of those questions are, do you ever need to drink more than you used to to get the same effect? Yes or no. And do you ever have a moment where you drink more than you intended and you've regretted it? Yes or no. You only have to answer yes to two questions to have alcohol use disorder. So for me, realizing that every drinker I know has answered yes to those two questions. So this isn't just a, a conversation for this tiny broken percentage of the, the population that kind of exists over there, which was my biggest fear. I was going to be one of, quote, them. But this is an everyone conversation. And we're actually doing ourselves a major disservice when we think it's not a conversation for us and our drinking. And I think we're even doing ourselves a disservice when we ask ourselves, am I an alcoholic? Is this a problem? Because I think a far more useful question is simply, would I be happier drinking less? Would I be happier drinking less? Would I be happier and healthier drinking less? Did you lose any friends? Yes. And I would say that it was a gentle loss, sort of a mutual kind of, huh, let's try this without alcohol. And then realizing that a lot of what we were connecting over was the drinking. As somebody who doesn't drink to watch somebody, it's two or three drinks are generally okay. Four, six, seven drinks, you lose the ability to connect with that person. They're existing in a different realm than you are. They're inside their own mind. And, and so it, it didn't become as fun to spend time. And so I'd say it was gentle and peaceful. But yes, there were friendships that just did pass. What did you gain? So much clarity and peace of mind. And I think there's just this incredible, we we give out, we use alcohol as a crutch for so many things. So social anxiety is one thing, or, um, you know, for me, I was in a career where I needed to network a lot. And I thought alcohol was the thing that I needed to network and to be good at my job. I also was public speaking and I would go and, you know, have a little shot of something before I'd get on a stage because I was using it as a crutch for public speaking to relieve my anxiety. Um, I got, you know, prescribed Xanax and I thought, oh, this is just the same thing, just, to, you know, in grapes instead of pharmaceuticals. And in my mind, that was, and when I started to learn to do all of these things, because there are their skills, their social skills, public speaking skills, networking skills. And when I started to learn to do them without the crutch, my self-confidence was like, wow, that's me. I'm the one who's good socially. I'm the one who's a good speaker. I'm the one who's good at networking. That's that's not the alcohol because it erodes our self-confidence so much to think we need a crutch because we're seeing ourselves as broken. Wow. What resources can you offer our listeners to help them through January or just through the weekend? So I have the always free alcohol experiment and it's a 30 day thing. So it's perfect for January. It's on an app. It's in the app store, alcohol experiment or alcoholexperiment.com. And every day is brain science. Like I've been talking about here that just helps you very gently rewire your beliefs and your desires so that come February 1st, you can make a really informed decision without all the cravings and all the anxiety and all the beliefs that you brought into January about what alcohol, the role alcohol is going to play in your life. There's never a, like you need to get sober or you need to stop drinking. There's none of that. It's just a very simple, you know, experiment. How will it be if you get this information and what, how could it change things for you? Do you think there'll ever be a day in your future when you're like, geez, I feel like having a drink today? 
I used to think there would be. I used to think, you know, maybe at my at my great granddaughter's wedding or someday when I'm 90, I'm going to, you know, they're going to break the glass and raise the wine and, and it's going to be a whole thing. And and um, I don't really feel I haven't thought about that in a long time. I don't really feel that that's true, but I also don't feel fear about it. So I, I haven't said that I'll never drink again. And I feel like if I do say that, I actually think that that can create a lot of pain because I'm never going to know I'm successful at that until I'm dead. So it's almost like making a commitment that I'm never going to know if I win or not. And it, it just creates pressure. And I'd much rather just not have rules for myself and just explore each day kind of as it comes. This is a great big loaded question. And it's not even important, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How come you didn't have compassion for yourself? How come you used alcohol? Well, I think that in my specific situation, it was a whole variety of reasons. Uh, A lot of my early days of drinking were just because it seemed easier. So I'd get home from work. I was working in Manhattan at the time. I'd get home to my apartment in Brooklyn and I would used to put on my running shoes to go and burn off my stress. And I'd was started to drink and I'd look at the bodega and I'd go, Hey, I'm just going to get a a bottle of, of red wine. And I'd go watch TV and drink the wine. And so alcohol started to slowly, you know, replace all of the coping mechanisms that we all, I believe need to just navigate being human, whether it's exercise or good friendships or good books or whatever it is. I started to just very slowly replace them all with alcohol, but then further into my journey with alcohol, my second son was born I had really intense postpartum depression. And so as soon as I could drink, I started self-medicating with alcohol and that changed things for me drastically. It made alcohol something that was important to something that was vital and necessary. And if my husband would suggest at that time in our life that we took a night off drinking, like the claws would come out. I was so opposed. I couldn't even imagine getting through a night without drinking because it was almost my salvation at the time. There was a lot of me that felt like such a failure as a mom for feeling this way and feeling this way in relation to, you know, having a baby. And I was, I was working really hard. I was traveling and away from my family a lot. I felt a lot of guilt about that. And so I was using it to self-medicate and I could not imagine not doing it. Now, the irony of that was that the drinking was also making me feel like a terrible mom. So this this spiral, it was like a snowball rolling downhill and getting more and more momentum because everything that I was doing to solve my pain in terms of drinking more was just adding to the shame snowball of being just an absolutely horrible mother. What about when the kids get older? What if they drink? Yeah, I think that my job is to educate them and not to put rules or controls on them because I think that I want, with my children, my main goal is to keep the conversation going, to make sure that they know that I'm somebody that they can talk to no matter what's happening in their life and that they're not going to feel ashamed or that I can be there for them. Maybe they'll drink, maybe they won't drink. And either way, they're going to be my kids. And I'm going to hear about it and offer help where I can and recognize my complete inability to control another human being, even my children. 
That's Annie Grace. The name of her book is This Naked Mind. Her website is thisnakedmind.com. Annie says, you're not broken. Many people drink out of self-preservation. Alcohol is the tool that's handy. You can find a better tool. Get curious. Get curious. Ask why without judgment. Annie Grace, This Naked Mind. Hi, it's Casey inviting you to join me for a Women's Empowerment Weekend, February 23rd through the 25th. It's at Mariondale Retreat Center in Ossining. Get details at caseysplace.com. That's caseysplace.com. Our thought for the day is from Tara Moore, who said, Where we think we need more self-discipline, we usually need more self-love. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on. Shine on.